Let's give this thing a try. I'm going to have to uh, project loudly. And, and you're going to be in charge of... You're going to be in charge of all your own slides tonight. So uh, grab, if you will, Acts chapter 5. And the very first word of verse 17 is then. Acts chapter 5, verse 17, the very first word is, you guessed it, then. Uh, and so if there's a then, then it's there for a reason. And so I want to remind you very quickly of why the word for our text tonight starts off with then. The apostles have performed in Acts chapter 5, verses 12, 13, 14, 16. The apostles have performed many signs and wonders among the people. All the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. Crowds gathered, also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits. And then that scary verse, all of them were healed. So that's why Acts chapter 5 verse 17 starts off with then. Because what comes next is kind of one of, I don't know, four options is what I could think of. Number one, pride. Pride is coming next after all of those things. The disciples are human, so they're going to trip and fall into sin. Uh, jealousy, the people in power are not going to like all of this. Competition. People are going to be seeing all this good stuff happening and they're going to want some of that secret sauce for themselves. Or there's going to be a hurricane. And it's kind of a unique word, right? However, we've seen a tornado, those tongues on fire. We've seen an earthquake, the whole earthquake, not earthquake. Uh, a whole house is being, has been shook already. And so the next metaphor besides the flooding and, and the uh, earthquake is the hurricane. And so Acts chapter 5, verse 17, Then the high priests and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. Those in power do not like it. They arrest the apostles and toss them in the slammer. Uh, one of the things to, to know about this word jealousy is it only means boil. So maybe hurricane is kind of right, Hurricanes when the seas boil. Uh, and boil means either zealous or jealous. And so when we hear the word zealous throughout Scripture, it's always positive connotation. So you can boil positively, or you can flip that, and you can boil with jealousy. And that's what we have going here. Speaking of pride, Ananias and Sapphira has already happened in chapter 5, so pride's, pride's already... Uh, competition is one that's pretty interesting. I have one of my four options. Competition is coming in Acts chapter 8. Someone is going to want some of that secret sauce, and so if you're the type of person that wants to read ahead and teach with me, then maybe you'll do that. Okay, so the Sadducees. What I don't want to do is paint them with a broad brush. We've taught on them a little bit before. Uh, they're the ones that uniquely have killed Jesus. They're also the ones that uniquely do not believe in resurrection. So they hold the five books of Torah as sacred, but not the oral tradition. They don't carry all the weight of that. Um, and these men in this particular context, Luke tells us, are straight jealous. 
Because in the Sadducees' mind, there's a, there's a limited amount of honor to go around. And as the apostles are honored by the people, that takes away from the invisible stock held by the Sadducees. And so here's what we have coming from there. We have, they arrested the apostles and they put them in the public slammer. But during the night, the angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought the men out. Go, stand in the temple courts, the angel said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, the apostles entered the temple courts as they had been told, and they began to teach the people. The thing that, that got into my brain as I was studying this is that they didn't release the apostles to go free. They did not release, this angel did not release the apostles and say, make a break for it. Head for the hills. You're safe for now. He says, go right back to where you were initially arrested. So go stand and tell. Here's what I'd like for you guys to do real quickly. I'd like for you to talk amongst yourselves and order those. Go back uh, from jail, because there's a sense of security, a sense of safety when you're in jail, believe it or not, because you're in the friendly confines of a protected space. Stand back where you were, that's the temple court, and tell the people of the new life. So would you order these for me really quickly? Which is the most dangerous all the way down to the least dangerous? Go, stand, tell. Talk about it, and then we'll talk about it. Ready, go. Okay, go stay and tell what's the appropriate order from hardest down to easiest. Go stay and tell what's the right order. Everybody together, ready? Tell, stand, go. Is that right? Wait, what, what is it? Tell, go, stand. Is that correct? Who says tell is obviously the hardest one? All right, so that's a consensus. So really, it's just the flippity-flop. And stand, and stand and go, those are very similar. Would you, rather, would you rather make a break for it or roll back into the temple? Like, would you rather go and leave the jail, but only to return to the space? Bad question. Here's a better question. <laughs> we'll cut that out of the podcast. Never happened. Boop, boop. All right. Here's a better question. In your life, is go, stand, or tell, the, like how would you rank those, hardest to easiest? How do you tell the story? Where do you stand in the face of people who may not believe like you? And what is it like to move into those places? Go stand, tell, think about your own life, and rank them for me. Titter, titter, titter. 
Okay? So how do you rank them? How do you rank them? If go is leaving the relative safety, stand is in the place where there's some tension, and then tell, how do you rank them? Hardest down. Stand. Stand, tell, go. All right, give me a different option. A better option. Tell, stand, go. Okay. Okay, fair. <laughs> Is that true? Is that true? All right. I'm okay with it. Here's what I want to do the next time we chat. Uh, I'd love to know what you would actually say. I would actually, I would, so this is what we're shaping up to here. The next time you guys, you guys chat about it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be very curious how you would tell the story. So that idea of standing in space in order to tell the new life, it's got to have a couple core elements. And so by the end of tonight, I want to make sure that we all, within a retreat setting, have a, have a sense of what that can sound like. The thing to anchor on right now is go stay and tell are 100% affirmation, not release. Affirmation that you have what it takes and that I am sending you into the space that is hard, not a get out of jail free card. Literally. Like that's what we're talking about here. So chunk over to verse 21 with me. At daybreak, the apostles entered the temple courts as they had been told, and they began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and they sent to the jail for the apostles. Right? So what we did is we have two different scenes set. One set is at daybreak, there's teaching happening. The other is the council is gathering and they're rocking into the jail. Upon arriving, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were puzzled, wondering what would come of this. Time out. We've seen enough crime shows to know that, that these Sadducees, these leaders, are not anticipating the divine. Who are they anticipating? They are not anticipating the divine. Who are they anticipating? An accomplice, uniquely, probably someone from in their own temple guard, right? Because they're under lock and key in jail. I don't know security back in the day, but I do know that if it's the gates are locked, then you've got to have the key to get out. And so there's a limited, finite number of keys because when the officers arrive, the jail's locked, right? And so there is something sketchy afoot. Here we are. On hearing this report, the captain and temple of the guard, they were puzzled, wondering what would come of this. They're not anticipating divinity. Then someone said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching. Legitimately, they're hiding in plain sight. So good. At that, the captain went with his officers, and they brought the apostles. Finish verse 26 with me. They don't use force because they fear at 10 in the morning that people would stone them. Why are there rocks at church? <laughs> it's a fair question, right? It's a fair question. 
Oh my goodness. Uh, their question is not where did they go, but, but what, is, what is this a setup for? What could come of this is the wondering, not like, oh, our, our vault, someone broke out. This is incredible. This is incredible. Um, what I love about this piece right here is that the temple guard, whoever has broken these apostles out of jail, like they're really doing their best to keep uh, like this dangerous movement under control, which is my tongue firmly planted in my cheek because there's nothing dangerous about what's happening. People who are sick are being healed. The lame are walking. Like just crazy stuff is happening. There's nothing negative except authority and power. And that is what's happening. The miracles are making the apostles wildly popular and the honor has to come from somewhere. It's from the people, etc. Um, yeah. Okay, so time out. Let's just assume for funsies that I'm the apostles teaching and you're all in church and the guards are back there getting ready to bust in, right? And so those guards have this thing in their mind where they're not going to put me in handcuffs when they come to get me. Amanda's like, who, me? Yeah, you, Amanda. You and Bill are coming to arrest me. Here's the question. If you all have rocks, would you throw them? Yes. <laughs> Church question, would God want you to throw them? Like, I'm quite confident. I'm quite confident that, that God's way is probably not with stoning at this point in the story. And so if they were to come get me and you were all like, don't do it, pal, right? I just, I, man, that is just so freaking fun to think about right there for me. Freaking fun. All right, so here we are. We show up and we are, we're into the story now. Uh, jump into uh, 27 with me. The apostles are brought into the court and they're made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest, and this dude is ticked. We gave you strict orders, he says, not to teach in this name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you are determined to make us guilty of this man's uh, blood. Um, hmm. What to say? I thought we gave you a fine scolding. It's kind of the way I hear this in my head. We threatened you last time. And we put you in jail if you don't remember. Uh, and a firm spank on the hand at that point. Um, and Peter's got a response. Peter's got a, a definite response. And what Peter's going to do is he is going to, he, he's going to tread in some really dangerous territory. And this is where we have to make sure that when we tell the story of, of what life is like as a Christian, we, we emulate Peter. Um, and what Peter's going to do is he's going to handle both history, the story that happens, but he's also going to mix it with current events. So when I sit in the poorhouse, um, A, I love coffee and that's great. B, I see lots of you there. But C, I have conversations consistently with non-Christians in that space because it's real safe territory. And often those conversations with non-Christians are a mix of current events in their life and our culture, 
along with the way that the story that I find in Scripture narrates. Does this make sense? This is what Peter is doing. So I want, to, I want you guys to catch the story of history plus current event, and you may miss it. Peter and the other apostles apply, reply in verse 29, We must obey God rather than human beings. Like, you shook your finger at me, I remember that. But we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. There's that Sadducees, they're not down with resurrection. Strike one. Whom you killed, that's the bony finger pointing. Strike two. God has exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sin. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So the history might make sense to you, but there's a reason that the Holy Spirit is one of the witnesses. We are witnesses. And remember, this isn't just Pete. This is the apostles. So we have potentially upwards of 11 to 12 people standing here. And when we are witnesses plus the Holy Spirit, what you had in Deuteronomy for a witness to be held in court, which is where they're standing, you have to have more than one witness. And so they're looking down the line and they're saying, current events, we have seen this. And this has been a refrain from Peter that we've heard from time to time. We are witnesses to this. We are witnesses to this. But then we have this little, this little ditty tossed in here. Verse 31, God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior. Now this is current events for Caesar's effect. So not only is Peter and the apostles, when they have this fourth mini sermon in the book of Acts, they're not only stepping on the resurrection theological bent of the Sadducees, they're also stepping on the political norms of the territory and the oppressive ruler that's in the place. Because you don't say prince and you definitely don't say savior because those are titles that Caesar has claimed for himself. And so what Peter and the apostles are doing is they're being incredibly relevant to not only the Sadducees theologically, but the current events at large. Now, Peter does this over and over through the book of Acts, but it's Paul that is going to just drive the nail into this coffin. In the book of Titus, uh, I just pulled it up, and this is, this is an incredible. Titus, written by Paul, is going to say, God our Savior, Jesus Christ our Savior, God our Savior, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, God our Savior, and Jesus Christ our Savior. In four, three chapters, he is going to just hammer this idea that this idea of a Savior is not done in a political sense. And here we go. 2020 is about upon us, and we are in that cycle looking right now for the primary. Young Christians, if we don't have a voice and at least an ear out for how to be relevant both politically and theologically, why would I you listen to us? And that's going to come your way really fast. And I take that very seriously for myself as well. I have to be able to handle both. And then you've got this other piece, to grant repentance and the forgiveness of sin. Guys, this is the hope of who Jesus is. And throughout the entire story of the Bible, it is God's work if 
you will follow him. And so all of a sudden, what we have now is this Christian cycle of God has done this thing for us, and we must respond. And we see that happen over and over. There is a free gift, which is forgiveness of sin that God gave us. But he won't violate your free will to look at him and say, have mercy on me. I submit. And that is the part where the prince and the savior comes out in the most uh, full of ways, both theologically and culturally relevant. Make sense? Okay. So now I stop and you guys go. Peter's and the apostles' words are full of history and they're full of the current event. And so now, how would you pick someone who's non-Christian in your sphere of influence? How would you weave the story of both theology and faith along with something relevant, culturally relevant to that person in your sphere of influence? What would it sound like to, excuse me, to speak to them in, I don't know, mini sermonette sort of way here. But it has to anchor on this final idea that God has given forgiveness to those who obey him. That's the anchor point here in verse 32. So not only is there has to be the story of why Jesus is valuable, but also the relevance of the culture, but it must anchor in my heart seeing that story, seeing the world around me, and knowing that the forgiveness is mine when I obey the Lord. Make sense? My question for you is, could you jibber-jabber about that for a little bit and think about how you would say to someone in your sphere of influence, both the story, the narrative of Jesus, relevance to something cultural that ends in the idea that forgiveness is yours when you obey and hear this message. Make sense? Jibber-jabber? Jibber-jabber? All right, let's go.
Hello. Okay. Okay, so just a, a gentle show of hands, a soft show of hands. How many of have ever like had this style conversation with someone who wasn't Christian, who was curious and, and the conversation navigated that way towards faith? Right? Okay, so a lot of us, fantastic. Um my question for you then is how do you make sure that there's not an outcome? And you need someone to pray the prayer or else it's a lost moment. It's a lost opportunity. How do we handle that tension of, man, this isn't a Christ follower yet, and I need them to be? I love that, yeah. Beautiful. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So if it's, I need them to be is anywhere in your system or there's a tension in, in, in you to get to a place, here's the, here's the greatest news. Then that's about your heart, not theirs. And so the goal is to genuinely care and then look for those natural story navigational beacons. I love that. Fantastic. Uh, one of my favorite, you know, kind of turns is to how do you know it's the how do you know good or how do you know right because often i i'm getting referrals from you guys you're saying hey would you meet with so and so been in a tough time or having this question would you meet up with them and i'm like heck yes i will and so as i uncover and pull out the story i'm listening for some of those keywords that make uh, faith or God, or goodness, legalistic, which means it's either on or it's off. You're either in or you're out. And when I hear those, that's the place that I want to navigate into. And I want to ask, what's the standard? How do you know that's enough? Is one of my favorite questions to ask. How do you know you're good enough? And that's the point where then Jesus' story actually comes out. Because Jesus says, crazily, that you might not ever be, and I love you anyway. And so if that, that need for enough comes down a little bit, then all of a sudden what starts to rise is the story of Jesus. And then forgiveness comes out, and oh man, I want to follow that. And now obedience is the natural life trigger. Make sense? That is not what happened in our story today. Transition. Here we are. Verse 33. But when the Sanhedrin heard this, they were... Wait, what's your version say right here? What happened? When they heard this, they... What, what's your version say? They were furious? Good. Enraged? <laughs> Put them to death? That's what yours says? The message version? Oh, they were furious. Furious and then uh, the natural... Uh, yeah, perfect. 
I've got um, the NASB. That's perfect. The NASB is a version uh, New American Standard Bible. I think is what that stands for. Um, it says they were cut to the quick. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, so there's some options here. They were cut to the quick, furious, enraged. Um, yeah. Have you ever heard in the Bible, gnashing of teeth? That's the weirdest phrase, right? <laughs> right? That's called trans- translation problems because it, <laughs> that's not what happens there. Cut to the quick. That's not what this is. It means sawn in half. Like they were so mad, so furious, so enraged. The, the, the Greek word happening here is to cut in half, to saw apart. This is, this, this is the term. Um, yeah, that, we, that shows up a couple different times. When you hear gnashing of teeth, it's, it's this idea of how bad is it? So bad, I would like to saw you in half. There we are then. And they intended to kill them as Luke pointed out. However, there was a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, respected by the people, and he stood up in the council and said, let's, let's put them outside for a few. Now, a really interesting note really quickly. He was a Pharisee. Who is the court? Sadducees. So now all of a sudden we have an outsider saying something to all the courts. But there's this one huge caveat of what a Pharisee is down with that the Sadducees are not, that we have already referenced tonight. I'll give you a hint. Yeah, resurrection. Okay, I didn't have to give you a hint. I could have, though. Lazarus, come forth. Right? Resurrection. And the Pharisees are down with it. The Pharisees are down with it. And so now there's some fun things happening all of a sudden. Not that that's what you're reading as you think of this. But the fun thing that's happening is potentially Gamaliel is just kind of like poking the bears, which would be the Sadducees. Like, come on, come on, give them a chance. Give them a chance because they're preaching resurrection. Whatever, maybe not. But then Gamaliel says this, put these men outside for a short time and said, men of Israel, take care what you propose to do with these men. And then he goes into a little, a little history lesson. Thaddeus and Judas both tried to rise up and all who followed him were dispersed and they came to nothing. Uh, in the days of the census, he drew some people after him and Judas too perished, different Judas, and those who followed him were scattered. Verse 38. So in the present case, Gamaliel is talking, I say to you, stay away from these men and leave them alone. Because if this plan or action is of men, it will be overthrown. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow it, them, or else you may even be found fighting God. So he throws down the spiritual card. (laughs) Uh, And the apostles live to see another day. All right? After, After a little history lesson, verse 40 goes on. His speech persuades them. They called the apostles in, and they had them flogged. Now, flogged means beaten. And so last time, there was a firm finger shake and maybe a little slap on the wrist. But this time, it's 39 lashes. Uh, And it's intended not to kill, but to shame. This is very different than what happened when Jesus 
was approaching the cross. This, he was not flogged in the sense of this. This was intended for public humiliation. They were ordered not to speak in the name of Jesus, and the apostles were let go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching or proclaiming the good news that is Jesus Christ. There's that verbal warning again, uh, and it's kind of, kind of ridiculous. Um, could I ask one more question and give you guys a chance to talk? Um, when I sit with folks who are n- both Christian and not, I probably two or three times per semester get the why do good things happen to bad people question. You've asked this? You've been asked this maybe. Um, why are bad things happening to the apostles? Why are good things happening? Why are bad things happening to good people? Could you guys talk about that and, and help me have an answer? Ready? Why do good things happen to bad people? No. Bad things happen to good people. Okay, so just the, the obvious quick answer. Why do, wait, it's not obvious. Okay, so give me an answer. Why do bad things happen to good people? Got it right that time. Naturally, there's conflict in response to redemptive work. Okay, I like it. Okay. There has to be a chance to accept or reject. Therefore, the outcome of that is bad things or the linchpin of that starting point, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Sorry. There only good things happen to good people when there'd be either A, no reason to believe in God, or no like, test of your faith to give it validity to show that you actually believe. Okay, so in conflict, 
there's the opportunity to to show what you believe because if bad didn't happen then why believe functionally because it's all good Right. And bad things will happen to bad people, and it's because there is good and evil. Right. And because there's evil in the world, bad stuff will happen. Period. But why does it happen to good people? Well, the same flip is true, right? Why do good things happen to bad people? Fair? It's good. So here's my question for all of our answers. Does that satisfy a non-Christian? I don't know, right? I mean, like, that's one that it's going to take. It doesn't or it does? I don't know. Whoa. <laughs> ben? <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, so, so, yeah, that's fair. Uh, those answers, while intellectually right, they don't feel right sometimes, right? While intellectually astute, and we all are, uh, what we have the story in front of us, while we know that's a right answer, it doesn't feel like that's a safe story, especially when I'm in the middle of the hard thing. So here's the piece that I, I'd love to say. Uh, about that. I think there's one element that, if, that we haven't touched yet, which is that freedom aspect. That even when I know there's a right way through this, but it doesn't feel like that, I still have that space to choose how I will move in the space. I can shrivel. I can shriek. I can run really fast. I can, I got options. I can gnash my teeth. I got you, girl. I love it. I love it. And here's what I love about that. When you read the story of Scripture and see it for yourself, you're never left in that space. And this is why we have to know how to articulate the hope that is Jesus because he did not see God, his godlikeness, as something that was his to hold away. He put it aside and comes to earth. He joins you and I in the brokenness and in the heart, and he moves through, and he touches the people who are far from him, who are far from God, and he meets them in their spaces. Guys, and that's the hope that you and I have to be able to articulate to someone else, because only relationship helps answer the intellect, but not the feeling, because if someone's genuinely giving you that question who's a non-Christian or a Christian, they're giving it to you out of a plea to go deeper in relationship. That is what Jesus modeled for us. It is why he came. And now we as people have the ability to move into that. Here's the thing. Last time Peter, was, Peter and John were in jail, uh, this is where Jack and I were, uh, I think, speaking on it. Uh, once, once Peter got out of jail and John, they rolled straight to church and they prayed for the ability to be even more bold about how they speak. And they relied on their relationships 
to fill them up again because it didn't, I guarantee, feel. And with those 39 lashes on the back of however many apostles were there, they were carrying the emotions. Even though they might have done the right thing, these are men who fail and have weakness and they absolutely relied on. And the theme of this retreat, right, is together. Like the idea here, guys, is that we have to keep drawing closer and casting and sharing what's going on, praying for one another, because we're all sent back out from this place. No one here is required to know everything or do it alone. And that's the whole intent of the book of Acts. You have God's Spirit with you, and you have a church to draw into, to speak into. So when bad things are happening in your life, it's it's that time of the semester where you make it through midterms, I hope, and projects did good, bad, and ugly for some of us more than others. Here's the thing. The beating did not give the apostles the Sanhedrin's intended goal. The goal was to shut them up. The goal was to silence the good news about the life that these men were experiencing with their church community. And instead, it drove them back to the public places. They did not giving up meeting in the temple and going from house to house. And that's the intent of a retreat like this together. Hope you guys have a good decision night. Some of you may not make good decisions and stay up till ridiculous times of the evening, of the morning. Uh, and that's okay. Some of you will drive home. Uh, please drive safely. Um, what I would love for everyone to do at some point this evening, though, before you leave this place, what I'd love for you to do is kind of look around and, and know who's someone that you can be a little bit more intentional, a little bit deeper with. The second thing I'd really love for you to do is to look up at some point. Uh, as you were singing, I was out that wall just kind of doing one of these. And then when a car pulled up, I went around to greet some, some people. And then I went back up and to hear the worship and then to look up into the sky. Guys, I remembered that I'm about that big and I must be a part of something bigger to do this work that God's called us to. Amen? All right, let me pray. Help me, Father, that is, um, is a high calling to, to be your people, to be your church. And it's one that we don't have to perfect and that we're graciously invited into. Uh, and so as a ministry tonight, I pray that we celebrate, that we worship, and that we go deeper in community. God, it's you that gets the praise. Amen.